preach the word in season, preach the word out of season, preach the word with great patience and instruction, preach with patience, preach with patience and instruction. The following message is brought to you by Baltimore Bible Church. For more information about this ministry, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. So let's now open our Bibles and follow along as we loose the scriptures and let them speak. The sermon title for today is True Hope for Hopeless Times. True Hope for Hopeless Times. One of the songs that we sang just a few minutes ago Ask the question, is he worthy? And it begins by asking these two questions. Do you feel the world is broken? We do, <laughs> right? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Things are getting darker and more troubling all the time. We do, right? And so, just to remind you, not that you probably need reminders, but I feel necessary to remind you of some of the brokenness and the darkness that we are currently witnessing and experiencing at at various levels. And I've broken them down into areas of global brokenness, darkness, national here in the United States, locally here in the Baltimore region, and then also personally in each of our individual lives. Of course, if unless you've been living in a monastery or something for the past week, no doubt you have heard about the ongoing situation in Afghanistan and have seen probably some of the horrific pictures and heard some of the very troubling stories about what is happening there. I mentioned earlier that the Destins are with us and they'll be giving a brief update at the end of the service and again tonight. Um, But they served there in Haiti, and as you know, uh, just last month, uh, their president was assassinated. And then just a few days ago, there was a major earthquake that caused uh, catastrophic damage and loss of life and injury on top of ongoing troubles that they already have uh, in, in that nation many troubles. Of course, there's the ongoing COVID-19 situation happening all around the world, as well as in our own country. Uh, It seems like political unrest is increasing in in every part of the world, including our own nation. There is the ongoing, the ever-increasing moral decline in our own country, The, the sexual revolution and just sin and immorality being promoted and celebrated all around us. The unrest in our cities and in our own city of Baltimore. Murder and crime and corruption and broken homes and drug and alcohol addiction, economic troubles. And then if all that wasn't enough... And even if, you know, your life is currently going great, and I remember one preacher uh, who said, you know, if you think you're strong enough for life, he said, just wait. (laughs) 
just wait. Sometimes, you know, when you're young and thing, everything seems to be going well, um, maybe the Lord has blessed you. And, but I just hate to tell you that trouble, trouble is ahead and difficulties. And I know that many in our own congregation, several, have suffered the loss of loved ones. There are several who are currently experiencing sickness and chronic pain and unknown situations with disease and illness. Some of us are experiencing and have experienced wayward children, the pain of prodigal children that we love and care about. Some of us experience the different difficulties of unbelieving spouses and the hardship that is there. And the list goes on and on and on, right? This is just a a small sampling, just really scratching the surface. And if if we're honest, when we look at these circumstances globally, nationally, locally, personally, it just doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of reason for hope, does it? In fact, we might even describe the prospects for the future as hopeless. Hopeless. Well, of course, we're going to be looking at true hope for hopeless times. So, quick preview there is hope. And we've been singing about that hope. Don't want to get you to get too down in the dumps. But let's look at Romans 15, verse 7. Romans 15, 7, just to get the context. We're just going to be focusing on verse 13. That's our text of Scripture, but I wanted to start in verse 7 just to get the context. Paul writes, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore... I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. Again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come to you and or we, we know that you already know the hopelessness that we see around us. You see the brokenness, you see the darkness, Lord, and yet you see it far more completely and entirely and exactly and accurately than we do. Lord, but we thank you that you also see the end of the story because you wrote the story. You are the sovereign Lord over history, over our lives, over all things and all peoples and all nations. Lord, I pray that you would, by the power of your Holy Spirit, cause us to abound in hope. 
not just to have a small measure of hope, not a, not a fledgling hope or a weak hope, Lord, but that our hope would be full and overflowing. And Lord, that it might all be done to your glory and to your honor and to the blessing of your people, the blessing of this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, just to provide a, a little bit of context for our verse here for Romans fifteen thirteen. Um, just going to give a quick overview of the book of Romans. As you know, in the book of Romans, God, through the pen of the Apostle Paul, instructs us on the great and central doctrines of justification and sanctification. And he demonstrates to us in the opening chapters that all people are under condemnation because of their sins, regardless of Jew or Gentile. And this teaching this section takes place in the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. And then in chapters 9 through 11, Paul goes on to explain that God has not completely rejected his people, Israel, and that he has a plan and a purpose for ethnic national Israel. And he will fulfill those promises and that Gentile believers should actually rejoice in the promise of Israel's future restoration. And then in chapter 10, he begins to make specific practical application of these great doctrines of justification and sanctification and making it to these believers there in Rome. And this sexual section of uh, practical application continues all the way through to our verse 1513. This actually concludes the section on practical application of those doctrines. And in chapters 14 and 15, he actually is addressing the disagreements that were happening between those who Paul refers to as strong in faith and and those who were weak in faith. And these disagreements were over non-essentials, things like eating certain kinds of foods and observing certain days. And Paul appeals to them to walk in love and not to have a judgmental attitude towards one another. And again, he points to Christ as the ultimate example. In 15.7, you notice he says, therefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. And if you look at, back at chapter 14, verse 1, Paul says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on them. So Paul makes this, this appeal and points again to the example of Christ as the perfect example of how they ought to accept one another. And Christ has accepted them to the glory of God. It was Christ who came to be a servant to provide salvation for both Jew and Gentile alike. They should follow his example, and so should we, by accepting one another. When we come to verse 13, we find that Paul is praying for these Roman Christians because he knows that the only way that these believers, both Jews and Gentiles, and the strong and the weak in faith among them, that the only way that they'll be able to obey what he has been exhorting them to do is for God to work and act on their behalf. And that's a great reminder for us. We, God works through his word by his spirit. Head knowledge is not enough if the spirit of God is absent. If we're not humbling ourselves before these great truths, And obeying and applying them to our lives. 
And as Paul instructed the Philippians, if you remember, to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, for it was God who was at work in them, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So too, these believers in Rome must now do the same. I don't want you to get the idea that this is some, you know, let go, let God kind of idea that you just passively wait for God to come and take over. That's not what Paul is advocating here. And as we consider the various hopeless situations surrounding us, which I spoke of before in the introduction, I want us to consider four questions about true hope that God answers for us in Romans fifteen thirteen, And that brings us to our first point. Where does true hope come from? Where does true hope come from? Look with me again at verse 13, chapter 15, verse 13. Paul writes, Now, may the God of hope So where does true hope come from? God. God. And it's interesting to note here, as we'll see, that all three members of the Trinity are involved in helping us with this hope, providing this hope, sustaining this hope for us. The triune God is at work, and each of the members are identified here for us, which we'll see in a a moment. I wanted to point out one small word here, at the beginning of verse 13, which is the word now. It might not be in some of your translations, but it is there in the original Greek. Um, It is the conjunction de, de, and it's translated now. And Leon Morris says this about it. He says, there is a connective now, which marks a transition to something new, something distinguished in some way from the preceding. It is a mark of the importance attaching to hope in the New Testament that Paul characterizes God as the God of hope. This means both that he is the origin of hope and the object of hope. Because he's been just quoting, as you notice there um, in, in, your, in your Bibles, uh, that the text uh, should indicate that these are quotes that Paul is giving from the Old Testament. And he makes this transition to now made the the God of hope. And um, oftentimes we find in the New Testament in Paul's writings that when he uses the word God on its own, and when there's other members of the Trinity mentioned around that, that he's referring to God the Father. And so that's my understanding of what is happening here in this passage, because um, he mentions actually the Messiah right before this in the previous verse. Um, And we'll, we'll look at that in a moment. But just note with me that God is called the God of hope. He is both the source of hope and he is the object of our hope. He is the one who gives us hope and he is the one who we hope in him. Our hope must be in him. Just like that song we sang a few moments ago, right? In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone. He gives us hope and he is the one that we are called to hope in. Listen to some of these verses from both the Old and New Testament that remind us of this precious truth. The psalmist writes in Psalm 39, 7, And now, Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. My hope is in you. Psalm 71, 5, the psalmist writes, For you are my hope. O Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. 
And just a reminder of that word confidence. Where is your confidence? Is it in, is it in the Lord and him alone? First Peter 1.21, a passage that uh, Pastor George has been preaching through, as you know, in the book of First Peter. Peter writes, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. First Peter 3, 5, for in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, indicating the uh, practical effect, right, of hope in God and enabling these women, these holy women to honor God because they had their hope in God. They trusted in God. So God is the source of our hope. And he is the object of our hope. He is the one that we put our hope in. And also, just in the previous verse, we find out that the Son, Jesus, the Son of God, is the object of our hope. Look there with me at verse 12. When Paul quotes from Isaiah, he says, and again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse... And he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him, referring to who? Who is the root of Jesse? Christ, Christ, right? This is the Messiah. Which is interesting because Jesse was the father of David, right? But Jesus here is called the root of Jesse, right? Pointing us to his, his deity, his eternality. And it says, in him, in this, in this Messiah, shall the Gentiles hope. In Christ alone, my hope is found, right? He is the object of our hope. If you are here today and, and you've been born again, it's only happened because you have put your hope in Christ. You might call yourself a Christian, but if your hope isn't in Christ, you are not a Christian. So you have to examine yourself and ask, where is your hope? Where is your trust? Where is your confidence today? Christ is, as we know, the only way of salvation. This is true for Jews and Gentiles and fill in the blank. There's no other way. Acts 4.12 And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved, by which we must be saved. So going back to our question, where does true hope come? It comes from God, comes from God, the father, the source of our hope comes from the son, the Messiah, the Christ, who is the object of our hope. And it also comes from the Holy Spirit, who is the power of hope. At the end of this verse, Paul prays that they would abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will come back to this verse later again, but just wanted to, for us to appreciate what's happening in this presentation of hope that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all involved in giving us hope. It's that important. Hope is not a side issue. It's not something that you can live without. Without hope, we are lost and we will have no 
motivation. We will have no courage. We will have no joy unless our hope is in the Lord. So we know who this true hope comes from, comes from God. But how do we get there? What is the path to true hope? The path is joy and peace that come from trusting in God's word. Look with me at Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So Paul identifies three essential ingredients that lead to an abounding hope. And that is joy and peace and believing. And where do these graces come from? They come from the God of hope, right? Paul is praying and asking that the God of hope would fill these believers, fill them with joy and with peace. And notice, though, that these two graces of joy and peace, they come as a result of believing. Do you notice that? It says, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, That's where the joy and the peace come. They come from our believing, from our trusting. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, we're told in Galatians 5.22. And joy is not dependent on circumstances. Joy is a state of settled happiness that is not dependent on our circumstance. That's why we're told in James 1 to consider it all joy. What? When you face trials, right? Of many kinds. To our natural minds, that doesn't sound like a lot of fun. But true joy recognizes the benefit and God's sovereignty in trials, knowing that he is going to bring about good. And so we rejoice. True joy from God rejoices in the midst of trials. And it is based on the unchangeable character and the promises of God. Let me say that again. True joy is based on the unchangeable character character and the promises of God. God does not change. His promises do not change. Therefore, we can have joy. And Jesus says, I give you joy, what? And no, no one will take it away from you. Not only joy, but peace. Peace also is a fruit of the Spirit. And this kind of peace, true peace, peace from God, is not dependent on circumstances either. There are two primary kinds of peace that are spoken about in scripture and there is a peace with god which paul deals quite a bit with when he's dealing with the doctrine of justification this is the reconciliation that takes place between us and god through the gospel this is a positional peace with god no longer at war with god no longer a rebel against god no under no longer an enemy of god because you have placed your faith in christ and he has forgiven you of all your sins, and God is no longer your enemy. Paul says in Romans 5.1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there is the peace with God, and then there is this peace of God. The peace of God, which Paul talks about in Philippians 4, that surpasses all comprehension and guards our heart and minds in Christ Jesus. And it comes as a result of prayer and of trusting in God. It is a peace of mind. It is based on the promises, again, the unchanging 
character of God, his unchanging promises, and it is not dependent on circumstances. In Isaiah 26, 3 through 4, it says, The steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For in God, the Lord, we have an everlasting rock. Paul is speaking here back in Romans 15, 13 of this kind of peace, this peace of God, this experiential kind of peace. Which guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's the steadfastness of mind that God promises to those who trust in him. But let me just say that you can never experience the peace of God until you have peace with God. The peace of God is only for believers. And that only comes through the gospel and through putting your trust and hope in Christ for the salvation from all of your sins to be reconciled to God. So the path to peace, it comes through joy and peace from trusting God's word. I want to get back to that point about belief in God's word. Look with me at verse 4, chapter 15, verse 4. We'll just go back to verse 1 for the sake of context. Paul says, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good to his edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Hope. Where does hope come from? From the scriptures, right? Through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures. Note verse 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus. Did you notice the parallel there? We receive perseverance and encouragement from the scriptures that gives us hope. And then Paul makes, makes this, this statement that may God, who gives perseverance and encouragement, grant you to be of the same mind. How do you think God gives encouragement and perseverance? Through the scriptures. And not just reading them as if it's you know, some magical formula. Reading them and believing them. Trusting them. God works through his word. So when we go back to verse 13 and we're told, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. What are we believing in? Believing in his word. Right? Believing what God has revealed about himself. His character, his nature, his promises, his plans. Those are the things 
that we believe in. And through them, God fills us with joy and peace as we are believing in his word, as we are believing in his promises, as we're trusting in his character. Which leads us to our next point. And the question, next question is, how much of this hope can I have? How much can I have? What's, what's God's will? How much hope does God want you to have? And the answer is an overflowing abundance. <laughs> an overflowing abundance. Paul's prayer, note, is that God, the God of hope, will fill us. Fill us with how much joy and peace? All. <laughs> All joy and peace. So the God of hope, the omnipotent, all-powerful God who possesses heaven and earth and all that contain, Paul is making his appeal to that God, the maker of heaven and earth, to fill you with joy and peace. How much joy and peace do you think that God, our God, the one true and living God, has to give you? And Paul prays that God would fill us with all joy and peace in believing But it doesn't stop there so that you will abound. (laughs) You get it? Fill all abound. Are you getting the picture? That in the midst of the hopelessness, and it's real, the world is hopeless apart from Christ. Your problems are hopeless apart from Christ. Baltimore is hopeless apart from Christ. The United States is hopeless apart from Christ. In the midst of all that hopelessness, we as believers are called to be filling, overflowing, abounding with hope. And the world should take note of that. The world should question, why why do you have so much hope? I think Peter says something about that, doesn't he? And they'll ask you a question about the hope that you have. But if we're acting just like the world and we're down and depressed, we've got our heads down in the dirt. We're going to act just like the world. We're going to be hopeless or we're going to be looking to other things. Putting our trust in false gods and idols and things, anything besides God, right, can be an idol or a false god. We're to put our hope in God and God alone and he desires for this hope of our experience of this hope to be a full and abundant one. We ought to be those who are full of joy and peace and hope regardless of the circumstances that are going on in our lives. Let me say that again. Regardless of the circumstances that are going on in our lives, we have every reason for hope. And not just a meager hope, and again, we should take note that the word, way that this world, word, excuse me, hope is often used in our day, it's something that is uncertain, right? I hope, hope it's sunny out today, right? Hope things get better. That's not what this word hope is. Don't confuse that. When God talks about hope, that's going to happen. <laughs> what Jesus said, it's easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one of God's words not to come true. That's simpler, Jesus said. That would be an easier thing for everything just to come apart and disappear. 
That's simpler than God's, because the point is, God's word has to come true. It will come true. You can bank on it. And we need to bank on it. Let's take a look at Romans 8 and be reminded of some of the primary reasons that we can have this kind of immovable joy and peace and hope. I know this is a familiar passage of scripture to us all, but I want to remind us again. Let's begin at verse 1. We're just going to skip through and look at a few of the, of the peaks in this chapter. Chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let that sink in. No condemnation. If you are in Christ, you are not condemned. You will never be condemned. Look at verse 18. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul doesn't just say it's, it's, it doesn't compare. He says it's not even worthy. It's not worthy to be compared. Like, the glory that is to be revealed is so much greater that it, it's, it's, it's wrong to try to compare the two. That's how much greater the glory is that is to be revealed to us. Look at verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also, the Holy Spirit, helps us in our weakness, helps our weakness. So, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I'm always thankful when people tell me they're praying for me. Oftentimes I hear from my parents that they're praying for me, my wife praying for me, others praying for me. I'm always grateful for that. But how often do I think about and you think about that the Holy Spirit is praying for you? That's what it says, right? Are we thankful for that? Do you realize how amazing that is? That the Holy Spirit prays for us? And of course, verse 28. Familiar, but let us not let the familiarity of it rob us of the, the glory and the treasure that this truth is. Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes a few things. Most things. All things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? If you are a believer, if you are trusting in Christ, God is for you today. 
And you can put whoever you want to on the other side of that equation. It doesn't matter. (laughs) God's on your side. He's for you. God is for us. Who is against us? In verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You ever stop and think about the logic of that verse? God did not spare his own son. He gave his son over to death, over to torture, over to mocking, over to suffering for your sin to provide salvation for you. Do you think there's any good thing that God is going to withhold from you if he didn't withhold his own son for your salvation? That doesn't make sense, right? Because the point is, he will withhold no good thing from us. The things that we think he should give us, and we wonder why he doesn't give it to us, and we think he's not good because he doesn't. Guess what? It's not good for you. (laughs) Otherwise, you would have it. Verse 33. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Oh, so in addition to the Holy Spirit, Jesus is also interceding for you. Who will separate us from the love of God? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do we have a reason to be hopeful? Should we be abounding in hope? See, it's as we trust, as we're encouraged by the word of God, as we believe in it, our hearts overflow with joy and with peace, and we abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen to the words of this him on the love of God by Frederick Lehman. I believe this is the final verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints' and angels' song. The love of God. At this point, I hope I've convinced you all But there might be some of you who might be thinking or saying, okay, all that sounds pretty amazing. In fact, too amazing. It sounds too good to be true. 
Uh, we have learned by experience in this world that if something is too good to be true, then it's not true. And that leads us to our next and final point. Who can guarantee this true hope for us? And the answer brings us back to God. <laughs> God from beginning to end. God, the Holy Spirit. Notice there, back in Romans fifteen, thirteen. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope. How? Who is guaranteeing it? Right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. The omnipotent, all-powerful Holy Spirit is the one who enables us to abound in hope. We began with God, the God of hope, and we end now with the Holy Spirit of power. The one who is able to give us this experience of a true, abiding, and abounding hope. This is not just some pie-in-the-sky idea. This is actually God's desire and intention for us. And he has, in fact, provided all that is needed for us to experience true hope. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says, In him you also... After listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance, with a view to the redemption of God's own possession, to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit has been given to us as a pledge. Um, it is the first installment, a deposit which guarantees a sure down payment or a pledge of the inheritance that we've been promised. So the Holy Spirit indwelling within us is God's promise that he will keep his word. And the Holy Spirit is powerful and his power enables us to abound in hope. Listen to the words again of the first and, and final verse of in Christ alone. In Christ alone, my hope is found. In Christ alone. He is my light my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace. When fears are stilled, when striving cease. My comforter, my all in all. Here in the love of Christ I stand. And the fourth verse, always been one of my favorites, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of of Christ I stand. I hope that's true for all of you this morning. I'd like to just take a moment to speak to those of you who are believers, those of you who have trusted in Christ, and just ask you, who, who are you hoping in? Do you feel hopeless and helpless? Is it possible that you have put your hope in something or someone else besides Christ? And that is why you're depressed and that is why you're discouraged. And that is why you're downtrodden. Because you're not hoping in Christ. 
And if you find that this morning, repent, right? Ask God to forgive you for putting your hope in something and someone else besides him. Believe in his word. Experience the joy and the peace of trusting in him and his word. This is my prayer for you. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Regardless of what hopeless circumstances you are currently facing and are experiencing, this verse does not have an asterisk next to it. If you are in Christ, this promise is for you. You can and you should abound in Christ. But before I conclude, I I need to speak to those of you that are here that are not believers, that you have not trusted in Christ. Those of you that might be tuning in online. If you are here today and Christ is not your Lord and Savior, if you are still living for yourself, if you're still loving your sin and loving the world and refusing to bow the knee to Jesus Christ, then I must warn you that the Bible describes your condition as hopeless. That's, that was actually all of our conditions before Christ. We were hopeless without God in this world. Hateful, hating one another. And that is your current condition. You have no reason for hope. I'd be lying to you if I told you you did. You have every reason to fear the future and it's actually a very good thing for you to not find peace, contentment, and rest in this world. And consider it a mercy of God if you look what's happening in your life and the world around you and you are shaken. That's a good thing. Because it's far better for you to realize that now before it's eternally too late. And you stand before the Lord with no excuse. So I appeal to you to turn to Christ, to look to him. The Lord may very well have brought circumstances and situations into your life to knock out the props from underneath of you that you can understand that hope is only found in Jesus Christ. Hope is only found in Christ. But the good news for you is that this day, at this time, there still is hope for you. If you will now look to Christ and believe in him and confess that you are a poor and miserable sinner who has disobeyed him and rebelled against him. And if you believe that Jesus Christ came into this world, the Son of God, took on flesh, he lived a perfect and holy and obedient life that you could never live and I could never live. And he suffered and died on a cross in your place for your sins, bearing the punishment and wrath of God that you deserved If you believe those things and you believe that he died on the cross and that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day and that he ascended to the Father and that he's returning again to judge this world, if you will turn to Christ and trust in Christ and put your hope in Christ alone, then today is a day of hope for you. And I plead with you not to leave this day before 
you turn to Christ and bow your knee and put your faith in him. And you too can have true hope, everlasting hope, eternal hope, abounding hope with all of us that have trusted in Christ. We're no better than you. But we had to do the same thing. We had to acknowledge our guilt and our rebellion against Christ and ask for his forgiveness. We had to be reconciled to God through Christ. Please don't leave here today before you have put your hope in Christ. Lord, again, I just pray for uh, each one here, Lord, as your word has uh, been proclaimed, that, Lord, you would use it by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, to fill our hearts with hope. And for those that do not have that hope, Lord, that they would come and bow the knee before you, Lord, that they might have true hope in Christ. Pray this all in his name. Amen. To hear other messages or to find out about upcoming events or where we meet for weekly church services, please visit us online at www.baltimorebiblechurch.org. Baltimore Bible Church reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available on our website and includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating CDs and all digital files.